The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. Occupation, private detective. You know, somebody says, follow that guy. So I follow him. Somebody says, find that female. So I find her. But some cases, like this one, kind of creep up on you on their hands and knees. And the first thing you know, you're in it up to your neck. Right now, you're reading in your newspapers and hearing over your radios about a murder. They call it the case of the lady in the lake. It's a good title. It fits. What you've read and what you've heard is one thing. The real thing is something else. There's only one guy who knows that. I know it. This lady in the lake business started just three days before Christmas. Who invited you? Uh, I did. Now, wait a minute, Mr. Marlowe. Just when I was beginning to like you. Well, you want the facts, don't you? When it concerns a woman, does anybody ever really want the facts? Vain female, aren't you? Please don't be so difficult to get along with. I need help. What's going on here? He got cute. Striking an officer, resisting arrest and murder, all on Christmas Eve. Let's wrap you up real pretty, shall we? And take you right down to headquarters. Give me your hands. You'll see it just as I saw it. You'll meet the people, you'll find the clues, and maybe you'll solve it quick, and maybe you won't. You think you will, eh? Okay? You're smart. But let me give you a tip. You've got to watch them. You've got to watch them all the time. Because things happen when you least expect them. No, don't! Don't! I love you, Rivera! Drexel. 
guys welcome back to the tragedy of cinema podcast i'm your host jimbo and joined again today. detective zaner in the house I was gonna say, investigating the, crimes the boy in the bottom of the pool you don't know what it's like being me <laughs> hard good old gumshoe why do they call them gumshoes jimbo i don't know because okay you step on gum that's it's that's gumshoe. it's really weird they leave rice behind, I guess. It's, it's okay. Okay, weird uh, that's enough. I'm talk All right. So, okay. okay. Uh, today we are going to be talking about a special movie. Um, basically, there's not very many movies shot like this. No, no. And mm-hmm. um, back uh, a while back um, on the Facebook group, somebody mentioned this uh, as a movie that we need to look into because it was shot differently. Um, and of course, I immediately bought it and watched it, and I was blown away then about this movie um this is obviously uh going to be episode 132 which is lady in the lake from 1946 1946 and what makes this movie so special is it's actually shot first person mm-hmm. um very well shot um the only time you see philip marlowe uh, who is the detective that you're playing is at the beginning when he's given a narration and at the end when he's closing the movie but the only other time you see him in the movie is when his reflection's in a mirror or he looks at, like, a, a spoon or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, very, very well done. So, Kyle, let's go ahead and take away this great black and white movie uh, in the, you know, yeah. detective crime mystery section, if you will. No question this time around? No, I don't think I'm going to give you a question. All right. I think one on the cuff, just hit me with it, and I'll, I'll be prepared for it, I'm sure. Are you sure? I, I, when am I never ready? To <laughs> every know? every time we record. How dare you? All right. All right. Well, okay, fine. With that insult away, um, I'll cover the movie. Now we have Lady in the Lake, released on December 20th of 1946. Lady in the Lake was a first-person movie, um, one of the first of its kind, and very few of a very niche genre. Um, completely from the first person, as Jimbo once did. And the um, film um, is about a uh, Philip Marlowe, a detective of other films such as uh, Long Goodbye, and um, recently um, Liam Neeson's going to be in a film later this year with Kyle Just Marlowe. And there's a few other films starring the character of Philip Marlowe based off a series of novels. Um, basically, um, a, letter, a lady editor of a crime magazine hires Philip Marlowe to find a wife of her boss, um, and the, the investigator soon finds himself involved in a murder. Directed by um, Robert Montgomery, written by Steve Fisher for the screenplay adaptation, and originally by Ramin Chandler for the original novel, and um, composed by David Snell, and cinematographer was Paul Vogel. Budget for the film was um, $1.026 million um, in 1946. Adjusted for inflation, that'd be about $15.7 million. This movie was not made uh, very expensive or something like that before the time, though. You know, this is a reasonably priced movie for sure. Um, technical details. This is a 105-minute um, movie. So on a bit of a longer side for a film of that era, especially um, like you know movies nineteen forties took place around you know took that ninety minute mark pretty seriously actually and didn't really go too far along. So this movie has a unusually long length for it, pretty good there. Sound mix, um, mono mix by Western Electrical Sound System. Color info: This is a black and white film. 
Aspect ratio, this is a 1.37 by 1, or about a 4 by 3 aspect ratio for the people who've seen those kind of um, usual race ratio, like the they actually TV aspect ratio, which is unusual. So still there too. Camera they used was the um, the Bell and Howe um, IMO camera, which is the first I've ever read uh, the the Bell and Howe IMO camera. And I wonder if they needed a smaller camera specifically to get those first person shots the way they wanted to, or get them through doors. You know, the size of like you know film cameras back then. You know, size of like a motorcycle at that point too. So I imagine getting it through a door to try and get those first person shots probably pretty difficult. So maybe the the Bell and Howe camera was just the right size needed for that kind of shot. Yeah, and also this movie is like the first person perspective of uh, Detective Philip Marlowe, but it's really the first perspective of his chest. <laughs> the way I saw the film, it's not really his face. It's the, it's what his pecs see. <laughs> but we'll get to that later. Uh, yeah, um, some more of the um, uh, technical details uh, going on. Um, this film was entirely um, uh, for filming locations was entirely um, attributed to the Metro Golden My Studios in Washington Boulevard of California in Culver City, and uh, that is technical facts. Move on here. We got a quick little cast to go through. Um, cast cores of Robert Montgomery, who's also the director of the film, playing the character of Philip Marlowe. Robert Montgomery was also in the films Night Must Fall in 1937, Here Comes Mr. Jordan in 1941, and Private Lives in 1931. I said, yeah, Mr. Jordan was in 41 and Private Lives is in 31. Next up, we have Audrey Totter playing the character of Adrian Fromset. Audrey Totter was also in the films The Unsuspected, The Unsuspected in 1947, Tension in 1949, and High Wall, also in 1947. Next up, we have Lloyd Nolan playing Lieutenant D. Garmont. Um, Lloyd Nolan was also in the films Hannah and Her Sisters in 1986, Julia, um, which was a TV series um, from 1968 to 1971, and Airport in 1970. Next up, we have Tom Tully playing the character of Captain Kane. Tom Tully was also in the film The Kane Mutiny in 1954, and Destination Tokyo in 1943, and Coogan's Bluff. Next up, we have Leon Ames playing the character of DeRace Kingsby. Leon Ames was also in the films DeRace, um, was also in the films Peggy Sue Got Married in 1986 and City Slickers. Next up, we have Jane Meadows playing the character of Mildred Heevlin. Jane Meadows was also in the film City Slickers in 1991 and David and Bathsheba, uh, Bathsheba in 1951 and College Confidential in 1960. Then we have the actor Dick Simmons playing the character of Chris Lavery. Dick Simmons also in the films Sergeant and President of Yukon in 1955-1958. That was a TV series. Um, the Well in 1951. Then we have Forrest and Morris Ancom playing the character of Eugene Grayson. Morris Ancom is also in the films The Lonely Place in 1950 and the film The Giant Claw. And I think I've got the date wrong here. I believe it was 1954 if I remember correctly. And that is the cast of Lady in the Lake. So. Kyle, let me ask you a question. All right, Jim, I'm ready for it. As always, do you consider *Lady in the Lake* a Christmas movie? Uh, I, uh, no, no, no. Well, go back to your notes and I, look at all the the music from the. Uh, I, yeah, go ahead, read, read, read yeah, the soundtrack. I wonder if this is a trap of some sort. <laughs> huh? The the song, the soundtrack includes the song. Jingle Bells, um, Angels We Have Heard on High, The First Noel, Deck the Halls of Boughs of Holly, and God, Yes, Ye, God, Yes, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. As well as, for he's a jolly good fellow, and 
Balu Lalu Lau is played in the background during Christmas Eve midnight. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I ask is not only because of that, but it is set the day before Christmas and on Christmas Eve. Um, if you remember right, the guy that's sitting there and his daughter calls or whatever, you know, and he's like, yeah, yes, I will be. Yeah, okay, but we won't need the pillow this time because he's playing Santa again, right? Yeah. Uh, but then uh, something else that caught my eyes at the beginning, the uh, introduction with the, the, you know how you usually have like the, the Philip Marlowe in, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, hand-painted things, and you see a hand coming and moving them out of the way, remember? Yeah. And they had some little Christmas decorations on there. So I just wanted to ask you if you think it's a Christmas movie. And there's some stuff in the trivia, and, and, and we'll get there. But I, I, I feel like you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get me into a larger discussion a little bit. But it's like, you know, it's like, do you think Die Hard's Christmas movie? We're going into that whole discussion again, though. It's like, this movie takes place during Christmas, not a Christmas movie. And I don't think it's essential that it has to be Christmas for that film to happen. Exactly. So... If this isn't a Christmas movie, Die Hard's not a Christmas movie. I think Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Well, that, well, you're wrong. But I'm just saying, Die Hard couldn't have happened without it being a Christmas party at the at that building. Sure, it could. If no, no, no. It had to be another dumb holiday. You need a reason to get everyone out of that building, but also to have all the staff down for a Christmas party. So you can't. Yeah, it's not true, Kyle. How many times at the place we you used to work did we just have pizza because? <laughs> To show your appreciation, we're having a pizza party, right? Yeah, but our boxes weren't there. Anyone else doing going on either? You know. <laughs> Um, let me see here. Here we go. We'll just start here. But um, yeah, but the the cue cards at the beginning was very. It's kind of weird just seeing a hand come across and pulling like the little <laughs> three by five card out. Oh yeah. Um, so here we go. Uh, the entire film unfolds from Lee and Robert Montgomery's point of view, thus creating a rarity in film. The principal character is only seen on screen as a reflection of mirrors and windows, and as the narrator speaking directly to the audience, which. Kyle and I did a little dive into this at the beginning, and I think there's only, what, 34, 37 movies? There's uh, only four, 34 films on Wikipedia that are listed under their film shot from the first-person perspective. And we went through that list, and we found a lot of movies where, like, they have individual shots that are shot from the first-person POV, but very few of them are, like, the entire film. Is I can only of think of this and Hardcore Henry as the two that I personally know. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we see, uh, what was it, Predator, where we see it through the... Uh, Predator's vision, and, and then, then the Terminator, Terminator, vision. Terminator vision as well. And I think being John Malkovich, I haven't seen myself, but I think the movie is almost entirely shot from first-person perspective as well. Um, I believe so from the trailer I saw. Um, and but the other films here, where it's just like it's like ah, it's like yeah, the 2013 film Gravity. There are some shots that are first-person, but like I wouldn't think that's a whole film. And same thing with like we had a discussion like The Matrix. Like I think there's only like one shot in the original Matrix film that is like shot from POV when like Neo wakes up from being unhooked from the Matrix. Right. There's um, a movie called Brainstorm, which we just discovered. Uh, starring Christopher Walken, where it's basically like a virtual reality set they put on their head, and that's what they are saying is shot in that kind of yeah, yeah. So technique. Yeah, there's shots and techniques being used in those individual films, but it's not the whole the film. The whole so, movie, right. So this is a very niche genre of films, and it looks it's well like, done. Yeah, and, and from what it looks like here, uh, like Dr. Jack and Mr. High like, has a little bit of that going on, too. So right, this, that's... Yeah, it's hard to say what exactly is the first film to do this, too. I'm not exactly sure. I got it right here. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, we'll get to it. Okay. Um so the Lux Radio Theater broadcast a 60-minute radio adaptation of the movie on February 9th, 1948 with Robert Montgomery and Audrey Totter reprising their film roles. So that's pretty cool. Uh, the first-person camera technique used by Robert Montgomery is known as subjective camera and had not before been employed in this manner beyond the first few minutes of a film, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in 1931 by pioneering director Robert Mamoulin. Raymond Chandler didn't think the technique would work. After hearing that it was going to be utilized for uh, from co-writer Steve Fisher, the author called the studio the next day to complain. 
It apparently was a contributing factor to Chandler's refusal to take a film credit. So this is the first movie to do it. Yeah, pretty much all the way. I, I, another surprising thing too is that like it's weird that films aren't the um, the main innovator in this particular kind of like filmmaking process of having subjective you know, perspective being done. It's almost entirely being like iterated upon by video game developers now for like first person developers of games like Call of Duty or Halo or Doom or something like that, where a lot of those cutscenes are completely from first person perspective because that's the perspective of the camera, yeah, you know, of, of the player, you know. So that's kind of interesting to see like those are the people who have done the most work of refining the camera work that's being done in those games and how that will later be translated to the film. Um, Hardcore Henry, I know, took a lot of inspiration from video games and I believe they did some portal work of the Portal franchise originally as some fan films. Can you, so, can stuff. you imagine? We'll just use the Avengers for example, okay? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the Avengers if they had, they had the Avengers in game, the Thanos cut, and you just see Thanos' first person vision? Perspective and then you had Avengers in game, the Iron Man cut, and you see everybody in th- first person through Iron Man. Yeah. You have, then you go through Thor. Then be, you know, there'd be different cuts of just watching them through the whole movie of their thing. I think that would be cool too. Yeah, yeah. Super interesting perspective. And like, it's. it's 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 cool to see. I, I would like to see almost some more films actually kind of like tackle that in some cool ways, especially some of the completely CG films, especially because like you can just like you're just moving the camera along to a different area and you've already rented that entire environment anyways. Can you imagine you know? a Star Wars movie where you're having a lightsaber battle in first person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I also, I think the answer is like if, if you're doing it at that point though, you just make the video game. You don't make the movie. At Which that they point have, too. So and they have, and they will continue to right. in ways that are really cool. You know? So director Robert Montgomery brought this finished movie in 19 days ahead of schedule. So he probably saved some money there. And sure, the, he did. Yeah, production's tough, even back then. Yeah, they probably loved him. The company probably loved him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lloyd Nolan was almost blinded when the glass splinters from a bullet that smashed a window hit him in the face. Ooh. He was rushed to the hospital, and a doctor carefully removed a shard of glass from the edge of his cornea. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Terrifying. And who? 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 Uh, who? Lloyd Nolan. He played Lloyd him? Nolan. Um, was. Let's see here. I guess he's not on the main cast list right there, but he is on the second cast list out right now. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, it's right here. Lloyd Nolan, who plays Lieutenant DeGarment oh, here, DeGarment. Yep. previously okay. played the lead in A Time to Kill. This was based on another of Raymond Chandler's Philip Marlowe novels, The High Window. Time to Kill was released as part of the Michael Shane series of detective films. Cool. Uh, according to the studio records, this film earned a profit of $598,000, which is approximately $9.2 million in 2022, making it a box office success for MGM. That's um, in 2022? Yeah, I did do 2023. I just uh, This is just what the notes said. Yeah, no, because like, just for inflation, like the budget for the film was $1 million, and just for inflation on uh, our inflation calculator was uh, 15.7. So at that point, it'd be a loss. But this um, is a, a profit... Oh, a profit of nine million, and just for inflation. No, it earned a profit of five hundred ninety-eight thousand dollars. Oh, okay. Office. Oh, and then okay. basically a nine point two million dollar profit. profit. So they paid. Okay, all right. Yes. Okay, okay, just for inflation. All right, so they paid off. So they probably made then one point one point six million dollars in the actual box office, but half a million was profit. Okay, so that's how. Yes. Kyle and numbers. The numbers are going. I'm t- I know the numbers, Jimbo. Okay. It's on the spectrum. <laughs> All right. Go for it. <laughs> uh, the pistol scene at the end of the opening credits is a Colt 908 vest pocket, 25 caliber, six shot, semi automatic. It can be seen throughout the film in the hands of Marlowe, Kane, Fallbrook, DeGarment, and Adrian Fromset. In Bay City, Zippo gasoline sells for 14 and a half cents per gallon in this movie. <laughs> so, could you fill imagine? up for a dollar? <laughs> yeah, fill up for a dollar. No problem. 
Uh, Audrey Totter once said in an interview that it was easy for her to play her role due to having done work on the radio. So um, she played a really good role, too. Yep. Even uh, for inflation, that's cheap again. Yeah. <laughs> the numbers, I know. <laughs> uh, the actress Eli Moore is credited in the role of Crystal Kingsby. This person does not exist. The credit is a joke, as the name is phonetic for the French phrase, Elle est morte, or she is dead. <laughs> Which, uh, I'm not going to give any spoilers away for this, because there is a twist or two at the end of this movie. Uh, it's a detective story, so you got to expect this. Um, but there wasn't a whole lot of information on this movie. Um, th- I just think the way it is shot is... It's classic. It's 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 different. It's a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Um, so, Kyle, why don't you tell me what you think of the Lady in the Lake, and maybe some discussion points if you want. Yeah, yeah. Because I think want to kind of like I want like there, there's so little time we can spend on the actual film, but the ideas themselves we can spend a lot of time on. I think like um, I think this film overall like it's a very straightforward and classic Philip Marlowe story. Um, the reason I like Long Goodbye a lot, you know, the film we covered like er- earlier last year, um, was because it kind of played against type of Philip Marlowe, made him kind of a goofball and idiot and kind of a loser in many respects. Whereas this film plays a lot more of the, the actual, the competent um, private eye <laughs> in a way that's very much more straightforward and to the actual, true to the character anyways. And uh, so that film in itself, like it's a very solid structure to build upon and then kind of use this wild idea for the time, especially of having the first person perspective is very um, is a way of making intrigue for the audience. And I think it was successful in that point because, like I said, it, it did make a profit. So that's really impressive itself from a, uh, a marketing standpoint. Um, from the producers of the film, I think it was a great idea of like, hey, let's do this wild thing because that will grab attention and otherwise uh, largely you know by the numbers detective story. Even then, there was a ton of other detective movies going around for sure. Um, so that's a good way to kind of make intrigue for this film and make it stand out amongst the um, the herd. So that's cool in itself. And uh, my personal thoughts on the film is that this is a, you know, like I said, very straightforward and very enjoyable. I, I enjoy any good grizzled detective story, and this movie has in spades. Um, so that's good stuff right there. Um, but the, um, the idea itself of trying to do first person movies is something I would like to see more of, and also kind of interesting to see, um, like, how how you can trace the influence to back to video games and then back to real life again, back to real movies again, and how those both kind of transfer back and forth because that's where the main part of iterating on this technique is being done in a lot of cool ways. So overall, I think it's a it's a cool um, technical feature. I, mean, I enjoy it as a film as a film buff. So uh, that's my kind of thoughts on the film overall. Um, Jimbo, what do you think? Well, what I like about it is even though it's shot in first person. Number one, it immenses you into the story because you're there seeing what he sees. Because mm-hmm. even at the beginning, he's like, hey, you're going to see this through my eyes. See if you can figure it out before I do. the movie. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, here's some things that stood out to me. Number one is when he is smoking, you see the cigarette smoke, you know, right there in front of his face. You yeah. Know, in front of the camera, it looks like he's smoking. Uh, like when the lady goes to light a cigarette, you know, she she leans over and lights it. Or when she even kisses him, she comes into the camera you know, like this, and she's like, oh, you close your eyes too, because the camera goes black, remember? Uh, yeah. That, then, then when he gets on the phone calls, you see the receiver at the bottom of his mm-hmm. mouth, or, well, I mean, on the camera. Yeah. Um, I liked how when he gets in a fist fight, you know, he gets punched, you know, and knocked down, and he falls to the ground, and you're looking up at the people. Uh, when he gets chased down in the car, and the car wrecks, you know, you see him, you know, open up his eyes, and he's still groggy and all that. Great. Um, when he uh, gets cut, you know, or when he wakes up and, and, and she's she came to pick him up and she's like, let me fix you up. And she hands him a mirror and she, he looks in the mirror. So you see yourself and she's, you know, doing the cut on his head. Um, 
when he's walking through the house and it's kind of creepy dude because you're like he, somebody's going to be in here because that's just where uh, Chris Lavery was you know what I mean and yeah. that's the guy that socked him earlier um, so you know you see him going up the stairs you see him going into that one bedroom you know you see the the sheets and all that pull down. Yeah. The turn, and then he walks yeah. down the hall. You know, and it, you're, you're thinking for a jump scare right here. And then, you know, and you, you know, he goes to the, the bathroom. That's where he finds the uh, body in the shower. Yeah. Uh, Yo, now that you mentioned, actually, I'm sorry, I'm going to take away from you guys. Yeah, you're good. Uh, mentioned, like, jump scare, stuff like that, too. I think another kind of, like, a, a spiritual cousin of this kind of genre of film, the first word perspective, is, like, any 3D movie. Especially like the horror three D movies, it's like a oh, horror three D movie always has the moment where like the pickaxe is coming through the screen, coming right at you, or especially like in a trailer or something like that, like the hatchet's coming right down on you, yeah, and the, or like you know like a thing like Spike Kids three D where the finger comes in <laughs> really? and, it comes, and it comes through the screen to press the giant button and moments like that too. And I feel like this film takes a did a lot of the first work on that of having the having I think someone vibrating phone or something like that in the background. Sorry, distracted for a moment. Uh, it is mine. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah, I cool. Like... I, I actually did now. Sorry about that, folks. <laughs> phone calls happen on air sometimes. Even have the phone on vibrate, apparently. Um, but, like, it, you know, a lot of those techniques that were developed for this film for the first time, I think, translated over to the 3D genre of films that took later into the, like, the 60s and 70s, as well, of trying to figure out, like, how do we have something that kind of comes at the screen? The answer is you have that moment where, like, we treat the camera as its own spectator and kind of, like, put things into the... Um, into into their space, you know, invade their space of the screen itself. Um, so that's really cool too, and a lot of that stuff like happened here for the first time in many respects. So that's really cool as a film legacy goes. Right. Yeah. Can you imagine a horror movie that was shot first person the entire time from the point of the killer? Ah, uh, gosh, there was a film a little bit like that, and I think it had Elijah Wood in it. I have to look up the title for it now. Um, there's a movie I think. Well, it's either Elijah, I think it's Elijah Wood, but it's a horror movie where he played the movie from entirely from his perspective. Um, I have to look it up now. I guess um, you know something that wasn't on that list was the original Halloween when Michael Myers put on the mask at the beginning. Yeah, it wasn't on that same list. Thing. Yeah, it was again. Like, so mm-hmm. that's interesting. Uh, so yeah, I definitely think that this is a, a movie that everybody should watch. I think it's very entertaining. Um, see if you could follow along and figure it out. Um, especially the ending. Um, it was. I mean, you thought it was going one way, and then you find out it's another way. Then you find out the two things were combined, and you're like, "Whoa!" You know what I mean? And let me ask you a question, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Do you think when he said, um, "I," he's like, "How are you going to find me?" He's like, "Don't worry, I'll leave this trail of rice." <laughs> you know what I mean? He Absolutely. The, he was just dropping the rice on the ground, right? Yeah. I was like, and then at the end, you know, the the, the I'll say one of the culprits is like. He's like, well, how did you, how did you find me? He's like, well, he's like, don't worry about the police coming. He's like, I kicked all the, the your rice out of the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then the, the chief comes in and he's like, well, Marlo, we would have been here sooner, but <laughs> he kicked but the rice, he kicked the rice right, so it took you a little bit longer. And I'm like, really, that's how you found it. You could have dropped that whole point. Nothing <laughs> would have been lost in the film. <laughs> Nothing. I'm thinking to myself, okay, Hansel and Gretel is one of these birds or something coming to eat this rice while he's out here or whatever, but... No, I'm definitely giving this uh, out of a five. I'm definitely giving it a five, be just for the fact that uh, it's so entertaining. It's very well shot. Uh, it keeps you captivated. And you know what? It kind of reminded me. Of? It kind of reminded me of those choose your own adventures when you were a kid. The books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, put yourself in the position of the main character. And hey, if you go to page seven, you know you, you're jumping off a cliff. You go to page seven. Oh, you found a rope and a pickaxe and you swing down safely. Go to page thirty-one. You jumped off the cliff. 
you're dead. That's one of the... Oh, okay, okay, I got the film right here. Um, the film is called Open Windows, released in 2014. stars Elijah Wood, and uh, the film's little... Is a, jilted fan, a jilted fan soon finds himself pulled into a deadly game of cat and mouse after he accepts the opportunity to spy on his favorite actress via his laptop. Um, so it is kind of like a... You, you, the film, I think, takes almost entirely from the place of Elijah Wood's perspective, and he's like a psycho killer trying to chase uh, 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 the character... Uh, oh, the actor was Sasha Gray, who's an adult film star, and she plays in that one in the movie as well. Um, and I'm basically trying to stalking her and going to kill her as a psychopath. So Kyle, so, why are you rating this on a scale of one to five? One to five, Leading the Lake. Um, I'm going to put it as a solid three. It's a solid film worth watching, but no means you have to go outside and pursue it. But it is interesting from a film perspective. Film well, I, think you perspective. Sh- I think it deserves a five just from the way it's shot. There's not many films that are the entire movie. I agree. It's impressive from that title. I admire its creativity from that, but I don't think it's a, anything more of an exceptional film than any other in that respect. Like it's it's interesting from a historical perspective, but not interesting from a enjoyment perspective in my mind. No. Well, you're wrong. Okay, I'm wrong. You, you go ahead and take your own thing. I'm going I'm to own my opinion. I'm going to stick with it. Now, even if you prove me wrong, I'll be like, no, no, no. This is my opinion forever now. <laughs> All right. So there you have the Lady in the Lake. If you want to follow us on social medias, we are the Tragedy of Cinema Podcast on uh, Facebook. We are also um, on Twitter. Uh, we are also on TikTok, um, which we now have uh, a lot of followers, which I didn't really ex- uh, expect. Kyle's um, <laughs> getting ready. Um, we are discussing about what the next movie we are going to cover. Um, there, It might be a heavy hitter. Um, we just... Stumbled upon one today. Uh, we're discussing it, but it could be one of those ones that make you sit back and breathe. It's just because Kyle was just almost crying at the trailer. So I was like, yeah, this is going to be interesting. So we're not yeah. going to say yet in case we change our mind. Because as when you do a podcast, you try to schedule something out, something else, or we, somebody mm-hmm. uh, suggests something else, and we, and we change it up a little bit. Yeah. So um, we want to make a fun, interesting podcast. And sometimes, though, like that's interesting. When, like we want to try to like tackle a, a bit of a downer of a film, a film that has like serious topics. Talk, like, yeah, this one looks know. pretty serious. Um, so it's definitely like it's, but it's also it's a fun challenge in that respect, and also like it's it's interesting to us to have like a fun a fun discussion about a film that has. Very you know downer topics to discuss, right? So I think that's it's, it's it's cool. So we might do it, we might not. And also we'll our fourth four year anniversary is coming up pretty soon, so uh, yeah. we're still working on that. We also have a live show coming up. We're working on that too. So stay tuned. Some big things happening in twenty twenty three. Exactly. So, Kyle. With that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut. Uh,